Film Fan Club Show. I'm Sam Carrico, and I don't know about you guys, but I am really excited this week. The King himself, Russell T. Davies, will be returning to Doctor Who. Yes, the showrunner who initially revived the series in 2005 will be coming back for the 60th anniversary special and subsequent seasons. Current showrunner Chris Chibnall will still finish out the upcoming 2022 season in what I imagine feels like staying with your ex for a couple months after the breakup just to finish out the lease. Go stay with a friend, Chris! Meanwhile, Marvel has filed lawsuits to retain the publishing rights to beloved superhero characters like Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and others after the Ditko estate filed a termination of copyright notice against this Disney subsidiary. According to Deadline, quote, the Copyright Act of 1976 allows heirs to pull the plug on licenses granted or transferred for a copyrighted work in particular situations with a fully executed notice." End quote. If the Ditko estate gets their way, Disney may have to work out new deals to keep making some of your favorite Marvel movies. But don't worry, if there's one thing the mouse company is good at, it's rat-fucking. Sticking with lawsuits and following up on a story we covered two weeks ago, Scarlett Johansson and Disney have settled their headline-making Black Widow suit. Quote, I am happy to have resolved our differences with Disney, stated Johansson. I am incredibly proud of the work we've done together over the years and have greatly enjoyed my creative relationship with the team. I look forward to continuing our collaboration in years to come, end quote. As we speculated here on the show, terms of the deal were not disclosed, which is disappointing. But Scarlett does know how to make controversy go away quietly. I mean, remember when we all hated her for Ghost in the Shell? Fantastic Beasts 3 now has an official release date and title. It's called Fantastic Beasts The Secrets of Dumbledore and will come out on April 15th, 2022, earlier than expected. Most of the cast, sans Johnny Depp, will be returning. Fans are speculating online what The Secrets of Dumbledore could be. I keep seeing that maybe the secret is that Dumbledore is gay, since I guess he's gay in the books, but I, I'm thinking that given J.K. Rowling's recent comments, it's a little bit more likely the secret is that Dumbledore hates the Labor Party. You thought I was going to go somewhere else with that joke. Okay, we've got a great show for you lined up. Mr. Beat is with us to talk about the true history behind American Crime Story Impeachment on FX. But first, Mass comes out in select theaters this Friday. I had a chance to talk to the cinematographer behind Mass. Let's get right to it. He is the cinematographer behind Mass in select theaters this Friday, and he's on my show. Ryan Jackson Healy is with us. Hey, Ryan. Hello. It's good to see you, and I was really excited to have the opportunity to have you on the show because I saw Mass back in the back at Sundance in January, which feels like a lifetime ago. I went and saw it at the satellite screening in the uh, drive-in theater, so I imagine wow. that must have been kind of a weird kind of rollout initially. I'm really excited that it got picked up for, for uh, Select Theaters Friday. But what has this kind of process of making this film kind of been like, you know, with everything going on? We started right before COVID, and we shot in Sun Valley, which ended up that part of Idaho ended up having a pretty bad first hit. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, we wrapped before before the pandemic actually like really went into high gear. It was fun to get into Sundance, but there wasn't a Sundance. So it was also, you know, it's like a weird, I'm glad you were able to see a, a satellite. I mean, I still haven't seen it in a theater. I'll see it for the first time in a theater next week. You mentioned off off camera that uh, this is, uh, the, the studio is trying to make this go to uh, putting an emphasis on theaters over streaming. Do you feel like it's important to see this movie in the theaters? Yeah, I mean, for one thing, that's my love. That's where, that's why I'm in it. You know, that's to me, the medium of highest impact is still theatrical. Uh, but certainly this movie, I mean, even from going back and reading the script, I mean, it's uncomfortable 
and uh you know habitual habitually we have a different level of concentration i think in front of our screens at home than we do in a theater mm -hmm. uh, and i you know the idea of being being in that room with those people was is i think important and I, important to fran as well so having a theatrical release has been has been great it's a tough movie too so i mean like being able to hold the you know hold an audience well i mean you mentioned it's a tough movie the uh performances are the focus of this film how did you straddle that line between uh trying to like give the character character actors you know space to do their work and just kind of showcase their talent between you know trying to show off a little bit you know with the cinematography you should serve the story always as a cinematographer so fran who's the director and i got started fairly early talking about you know what our plan would be to shoot this uh, in a way that was honest to the story and to the characters and really served their purpose and i i think it's it's successful in doing that our job is to really take you on that journey with them a lot of the film most of the film takes place in one room so how what would that what was that first of all what was that collaboration like whenever the director came to you and was like here's kind of my vision for the film did he kind of hand it off to you to be like all right storyboards whatever yeah all that i stuff, mean you make he's, it a, he's a funny he's like obviously he's like i you probably won't want to do this it's <laughs> 60 pages and a white i already he already had the location uh which which was an important thing uh to him and to me as well like i think those moments when you see something and it really speaks to you you should hold on to it and uh when he saw that location he's like he felt fairly strongly about it is the movie title referring well is, is it a double thing like mass shooting in mass like a church yeah i think there's something to that uh you'll you'd have to ask fran completely i think the word origin for that ceremony is also just about people it's an idea of people coming together right so which is really what the movie's about so breaking down that this story in particular my mantra was kind of leaning into leaning into the difficult nature of everything so you know the parents are facing a difficult thing you know uh the challenge of shooting this one scene in this one room would be difficult difficult like you have to kind of lean into that and pour all your thought into into that space uh mm -hmm. we wanted to shoot it sequentially we had a very short shooting schedule so that scene's all shot in chunks sequentially and we you know, oh, you know wow. we, we had a couple long rehearsal days in new york uh, a month or two before we shot the movie with all the actors where we, we broke down that scene discussed everything about it and kind of determined you know, where there almost felt like there could be some natural breaks just in terms of having to, to stop filming. And everything also uh, overlaps. So you'll st we started the next day doing a little bit of the previous day so that we could, you know, find that, come back to it and kind of get back into the vibe. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. I imagine it's kind of a hard thing to do that break there. So I imagine you have to kind of rev up a little bit the next day. Yeah, well, and it works, you know, so just by virtue of performance, you know, if that's, that was the priority for scheduling a performance. But Fran and I decided and realized we could turn that to our benefit as well. In term, we could craft a way of shooting the movie that, that allowed for this kind of slow evolution of its visual language. So, uh, 
subtly going from something that's all still and eventually changing, you know, just subtly changing to like this higher level of motion in a way that really, you know, fits the beats of the scene as well, uh, leading up to like a really important, you know, big moment where we actually switch aspect ratio and lenses. So I felt that shooting schedule, you know, we were able to make it also serve not only the characters, but the way that we were gonna shoot the movie. I think what you went for or what you were able to achieve in terms of changing the aspect ratio and just really putting the character or the audience in there kind of feeling that with the characters, I think it works uh, really well. What do you hope to achieve from this movie? It's coming out, getting all sorts of, uh, people are talking about these are potentially gonna be some of the best performances of the year for those who haven't seen them. Uh, lots of Oscars buzz of the, stuff like that. What do you hope that people oh, take away from this movie whenever it comes out? I mean, it's the reason I loved it, just reading through it, I just, it's, uh, it's a way of looking at something, a pretty big issue that's, human and like raw and good and the actors really nailed that you know just kind of this idea of listening to people and empathy and forgiveness uh are just important messages in general uh and so i hope that there's a wide audience that sees it and i hope you know that they kind of you know feel that uh feel that i think that's kind of the first step towards tackling larger issues. I hope they enjoy it. And to me, enjoying it means having that deep feeling and thoughtfulness about not just, it's not, you know, that can, it can be applied to any number of things, not just school shootings, right? Like absolutely any sort of conflict. Well, I think you said it right whenever you said uh, you hope that they feel it because that's an yeah. important thing. Uh, having that discussion, especially, you know, in this, you know, in, in America where this sort of thing does happen, I think is very important. And obviously I'm very biased, but I think you guys achieved it. I really enjoyed the film. What can you talk about? Anything that you've got coming down the uh, pike for us to get excited about? Uh, well, you know, the pandemic really put a kink in the chain. Uh, our union is going on strike as well. So, or potentially. So IATSE, this 600 is in negotiations. Uh, and I, th I think the two big sticking points are new media and, uh, and just better working conditions and better hours. Becomes a point where it is, uh, it, it's detrimental to people's mental and physical health. And I think that's all that they're, they're, they want to look out for. It's not, we all, everyone wants to, everyone wants to do, but at some point somebody needs to be the bigger person and be like, guys, uh, you know, Your people, you know. Look at the, yeah, look at the clock. You're not going to, you shouldn't be falling asleep on your drive home, for instance. But I do have a feature that's coming up uh, in the winter in, uh, in L.A. that's just kind of a, a heist, a kidnapping gone wrong movie, uh, which I'm excited about. It sounds a little bit more high fast-paced than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Car chase, <laughs> guns, things like that. Ryan Jackson Healy? The movie is Mass. It's in select theaters in New York and L.A. this Friday. I hope that it gets a wider release because I can't wait to see it again. Thank you so much for coming on the yeah. show. Everyone watch it.
Okay, he is a history YouTuber who's known for, among many things, his famous Bill Clinton song and his presidential elections and United States history videos. Mr. Beat is with us. Hey, Mr. Beat. Hello, thanks for having me. And I, I, first of all, I just want to say thank you because I've been watching your videos at least since the election of 2016. And I really mm -hmm. appreciate your approach to these videos because I, I still have, uh, I, I kind of have a, a sense, but I really don't know where you stand politically. That's good because I... I try not to push my political beliefs. So I, I thought you'd be a really good guest because I've been watching, I've been a little bit obsessed with American Crime Story impeachment lately because I, I really like the American Crime Story uh, previous shows that they've done. They've covered the trial of OJ Simpson, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace. It's from Ryan Murphy, who's, you know, just like the god over there at FX on television. So this show, was, and yeah. I love politics. So bringing this subject matter with this team, I was really excited. And so I got a, a lot of people watching this because I'm 25. A lot of people watching this may not understand. So I just want to know broadly, who is Bill Clinton when it comes to our <clears throat> pantheon of United States presidents? Well, Bill Clinton kind of represents uh, a, a simpler time in America. <laughs> as, as president, he was actually, I would say, not that different than um some Republicans. Uh, we were much more unified as a country in the 1990s. And, you know, uh, he was what you, we call, I guess, uh, well, he's a centrist in many ways. Uh, like, uh, I think that the term was a uh, new Democrat or third way Democrat, which means he often did form coalitions with Republicans um, and compromise constantly. And he did have to work with a a Congress that was increasingly, you know, hostile toward him. So um, I call him a centrist. Um, in fact, he was, you know, he was a, a Southerner when the in the South, increasingly, they were be becoming more Republican um, by the 1990s. And so he kind of had to, if you wanted to, just for political survival, he had to cater to a lot of these Republicans in the South. Of course, the show starts with Whitewater, okay? It starts that, which leads into the Monica Lewinsky scandals, and Bill Clinton's presidency seemed to be uh, covered in the scandal. And Hillary Clinton, I think, va uh, like she coined the phrase vast right-wing conspiracy or something to that nature. Hmm. How much of that is true, and how much of this is the fault of the president? Because, I mean, I mean, say what you say about Jimmy Carter or Barack Obama, but they didn't have all, they didn't have all of this mm. scandal going on during the presidency. Now, most of the presidents, and I'm kind of known as the president's guy online here, I can tell you that there's lots of dirt on most of them. Like, and I think the issue, like Bill Clinton, it's not that really exceptional that he was up to shenanigans. It really wasn't. I mean, there were so many scandals that could have came out of previous presidents. I mean, just think of John F. Kennedy. Right. All the affairs that he probably had. Yeah, like, so uh, I think it's overplayed partially. He, yeah, he should have been careful about this, especially, I mean, I think part of his issue was he got involved with politics so young. Mm -hmm. And a lot of um, a, a lot of guys don't get involved with politics until they're in their 40s and 50s. By that time, they've, they've settled down a bit, so they're not getting into, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, uh, with Paula Jones, I mean, he was a governor, a young, handsome governor um, that this, all of this hap is happening to. And I think that he, there's some guilt, no doubt. I mean, we look at what 
ultimately was settled out of court. And you know that there's some stuff that happened that shouldn't have happened. And if this was post Me Too movement, he would have been even more oh vilified. Your Clinton would have been. Oh yeah. Now that all said, at the same time, you got to acknowledge that um, the 1990s was the rise of conservative media. So when um, that right wing conspiracy thing, uh, it's a little overblown. But at the same time, yeah, uh, cable news in general for the first time had more influence. This is when Fox News actually was created. I think 1996, I think is when it was. And, and uh, it's kind of ironic though, just to touch on the, the media thing because Bill Clinton was uh, the president during the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Yes, and he, which I'm not a fan of that law. That, that actually had, in my opinion, negative effects. You mentioned Paula Jones, which is the perfect lead into my next point. Uh, I, again, the, the acting is going to be a praise my i'm going to praise the acting in the show a lot because the woman they got to play paula jones is perfect for what they want in this role and so is her husband i don't know if you're familiar with taron killam he's from saturday night live i believe he plays her husband and throughout the whole uh two episodes that i've seen so far he is really playing up the the cuckold aspect of of the the comedy it's really funny to see like when she when paula jones has to draw bill clinton something or other he's in the room and it's just that very funny it makes bill clinton it the show takes a clear stance in that regard that clinton is a chad and paula jones is just <laughs> just some dumb chick who doesn't know what she's getting into and then her husband's a cuck I, to me she's she's a victim here more than anything. And I think, I mean, yeah, she ended up getting like a, a settlement out of court. Um, Can I ask though, is I she also a victim of, of right-wing uh, opportunists? Oh, um, you could say that. Yeah, you could. I, I, I think um, the fact that she was just kind of this tool for Kenneth, Kenneth Starr, like, and then that was just the beginning. Like he he was like, okay, now I'm gonna go for Whitewater. Now what else? Like, oh, did they kill somebody, Vince Foster? Like, and then yeah, <laughs> and then finally his his golden opportunity was Lewinsky. Like that was almost it almost fell into his lap, you know, with with uh, Linda Tripp. So so like Linda Tripp is played here by Sarah Paulson, a really phenomenal actress, and her portrayal of Linda Tripp is is pretty good. But the show takes a clear position. On, a, on a, some of these uh, women, you know? So uh, Linda Tripp is shown as a villain. You know, she was a fan of Bush as, as it is shown in the show. And she, did, she was resentful of the new incumbents of, or the new occupants of the White House. So who, who is Linda Tripp? Who are these? Is the show being a little bit black and white here? Or was she really one of the many people out to get Bill Clinton? There was a lot probably going on we don't know about, but gosh. She didn't seem to like him. And uh, so I, I understand why the show would portray her that way. I'm not going to ask you anything about her, but I have to sit for the sake of this review. Ann Coulter, uh, one of the right-wing opportunists portrayed in the show by Colby Smolders, a revelation. Colby Smolders from How I Met Your Mother is having so much fun playing Ann Coulter. <laughs> she's got the look down, she's drinking wine in every scene, and it's just like, 
hilarious. Obviously, the show is portraying her also as a one-sided villain, but you could argue that that's clearly what she is in real life, too. Um, but Benny Feldston, Feldston, the actress from Lady Bird here, plays Monica Lewinsky, and she is also really great in this role. There's a scene in season, or in episode two, excuse me, where she finally tells Linda Tripp at the Pentagon uh, that she's been having an affair with the president, or she did have it. It was while she was at the Pentagon, so it was after their, her first stint at the White House. They had an affair. She wasn't talking to him for a period. She has this scene where she confesses to Linda Tripp. It's a very powerful scene. Uh, the actress, Benny Fieldston, just acts the hell out of that. It's like a monologue. It's really well done. And knowing what we know about where mm -hmm. the, it's all going with Linda Tripp, it, it feels even more tragic. Um, but, uh, but obviously, that brings us to real-life Monica Lewinsky. She's, it's a more complicated thing with her, right, than Paula Jones, because uh, she, uh, she had an affair with the president that appeared to be consensual. So, yeah, go anywhere you want with that. Yeah, but pretty, I mean, you know, and Lewinsky later said this multiple times, but, you know, she's, uh, she's this young um, intern. A great point. A great point, too. At, at, yeah, at the White House, and she's, I think, chief of staff. The, I mean, fresh out of college. Um, she grew up in uh, California, and she, so she's just there, and then she meets Bill Clinton, and she's like, whoa, it's like meeting your meeting a celebrity basically right. like a but that you really admire and um he's attracted to her uh and it uh, my understanding is that there wasn't much time between when they first met to when they ended up having sexual relations but uh the thing that that like to me too she kind of comes across as a is yeah clearly more of a victim of i think because she really did fall for him and but I think the thing that's the most messed up here is like the way that how quickly Bill Clinton was just ready to, just to cover this up as if it never happened and making her um, the whole thing, the start of the whole thing, like the uh, the sworn affidavit, the tapes, like forcing her to do that. Say you need to say that we've never had sexual relations. And then, of course, the reason why. Clinton gotten in, in trouble to begin with officially finally they got him for perjury or trying to get him for perjury um lying under oath uh I did not have sexual relations all that famous mm -hmm. this is um but I you know I, I don't see I think if I'm in that same position as Lewinsky I totally understand how she could just fall for for him and I don't think can be overstated he was he's in a huge position of power over her what was going to happen, you know, if she said no in a situation like that? So there's a lot of, you know, nuance to this conversation. The show doesn't appear to take yeah. all that. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to mention that too. I forgot. But yeah, I mean, he could easily um, use his power just like you're never going to have a career in D.C. again, you know. And then she ended up, she was transferred. Um, to the Pentagon, yes. When To the Pentagon, yeah. So um, I'm sure she was really afraid about and it worked out for her. She she does uh, speaking tours now. <laughs> and she's a producer. I, I still on the feel show. sorry for her. Yeah. She is. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Interesting, you know, for ethical reasons. You know, if I'm making a show yeah. and I just want to take a completely, you know, cold analytical approach to the show. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the show does a lot of uh, covering for Bill Clinton too. You know, like it, so it's it's an interesting. It's an interesting show. I'm really interested. I've only seen two episodes at this point, but I'm really interested. As I, I said, I love politics and political history. So I'm really fascinated to see where, where it's going and where it's going to end up. Mm -hmm. um, what were the 
what are the repercussions of uh, of everything that's been going? I mean, Bill Clinton's. I mean, it seems like all this stuff happening to presidents now a lot of it is is not as unprecedented. Of course, was this the beginning of of kind of taking that all out the window? We went so long between impeachments, I guess, and then then it became oh, a lesser oh, amount of time okay. between impeachments, and now I feel like it might become an even lesser amount of time between this and the next impeachment. So I guess that's okay. Generally, yeah. what I mean. That I do see the next impeachment coming sooner than later, um, especially with what I mean, that some of the Republicans are already talking about impeaching Biden as soon as they get a majority, uh, which may be as early as, uh, you know, 2023. And they'll just like whatever they'll, they'll, they'll just come up with anything they can to impeach him for, which to me, that's wow. Um, <laughs> so yeah. hopefully it doesn't get out of control. And finally, you touched on it a little bit, but I, I, in closing, I want to point out how much I love the show. Not because it's not a hot mess. It is a hot mess with really good acting, <laughs> sleek production value. Um, it's kind of the West Wing a little bit in ways, whereas I have a lot of problems with the West Wing and the ideology in the West Wing and things like that. Yeah. But it's so fun to watch and even hate watch a little bit. So um, it's right now cur <laughs> currently not available on Hulu, which is frustrating to me. I had to pay to watch the first two episodes on YouTube TV. I will not be doing that. And I would encourage everybody not to because that's kind of a ripoff. Wait for it to come on Netflix if you want to watch it. I enjoy it a lot. But Mr. Beat, as we close out, uh, how far have we come in our treatment of women in media? It seems like the women were treated really tough in the 90s. And I hope that we've, you mentioned Me Too. I hope that we're in a better moment now. I feel like now's the time for them to speak out. Like, uh, uh, like really, cause like, okay, I know there's a lot of stuff going on back then that maybe you weren't able to tell us the complete story. Now's the time to tell us exactly everything. Um, because I feel like, there's just so much we don't know about this stuff because so much is like quickly swept under the rug and it's, it's, it's a tragedy, but I do. Yeah. We've come a long way and these up and coming politicians, politicians, you know, that are especially, um, I mean, I'm a uh, elder millennial. You're probably a really young millennial, I guess. Yeah, barely but, on the cusp. Uh, I think especially our generation, I would say uh, since so much of our personal lives are online and social media, <laughs> you, you can see everything. So two things are going to happen. One, we're going to be held more accountable. We're going to be behave ourselves more. And, and two, um, people are going to care less when we make mistakes. I really do think that this cancel thing culture is mostly a myth. It's mostly just like to really powerful people that, um, you know, I do, I do think powerful people need to be called out, but generally. Yeah, I've got a hot take. And, I think that if you commit sexual assault, maybe you should be canceled, you know, yeah yeah me too that's that's a good hot take <laughs> yeah mr b thank you so much for joining us it's really been a pleasure to talk to you it's uh, been a personal uh, dream of mine since i started watching your youtube videos in 2016 so thank you so much for making that come true uh can you tell us a little bit uh, uh where to find you online and of course what you got coming down the pike and of course thank you so much for joining the show well i appreciate the kind words and i can't I believe you've been watching that long. Uh, but yeah, I, of course, I have my election series and I have a book that I've uh, modified or adapted this, the scripts of those videos into a book. So that's available. But I currently am aiming to make videos about every president in American history. I've already done a couple. And guess what? Who's coming up here in the spring? Bill Clinton. Um, I'm work currently just working on a, a video about him, about his whole life, basic, basically. And so look for that coming up. Um, 
Yeah, and and you mentioned my song, Rock Out to my Bill Clinton song. <laughs> and finally, with No Time to Die releasing in the US this Friday after over a year of delays, please don't ruin James Bond. Daniel Craig's run as 007 has been a mixed bag to this point, with Casino Royale and Skyfall becoming fan favorites, while Quantum of Solace and Spectre are generally considered disappointments. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure on No Time to Die to succeed. Of course, fans want to see Daniel Craig's Bond sent out on a high note. Some viewers have become skeptical, though, during the promotion of No Time to Die, with headlines like Lashana Lynch, the first female 007 in the news. Huh? Well. The topic of a potential female 007 isn't unheard of. I mean, the concept of gender swapping James Bond characters isn't new either. Just look at M. But before we get carried away, Lynch made the distinction in the article that she is not playing the next James Bond. Quote, no, you don't want me, she says with a fit of giggles. I'd just be like, um, right, where do you start again? She continues, quote, We are in a place in time where the industry is not just giving audiences what it thinks the audience wants, they're actually giving the audience what they want to give the audience. With Bond, it could be a man or woman. They could be white, black, Asian, mixed race. They could be young or old. At the end of the day, even if a two-year-old was playing Bond, everyone would flock to the cinema to see what this two-year-old's gonna do, no? Not everyone seems to agree, though. One of the writers on No Time to Die is Phoebe Waller-Bridge. You may know her from playing the feminist droid in Solo A Star Wars Story, if you saw it. At the premiere for the new film, she was asked about a potential Jane Bond. Quote, I think Bond is James Bond, she responded. We just need to cook up someone to rival him. Daniel Craig himself believes that James Bond should not be played by a woman. Quote, Why should a woman play James Bond when there should be a part just as good as James Bond, but for a woman? End quote. Craig and Wallerbridge make good points. I mean, have you guys seen Atomic Blonde? Charlize Theron plays a badass, womanizing, rough around the edges super spy in this amazing 2017 film that will never get a sequel because it did terribly at the box office. What a lot of you are looking for in a female James Bond is already out there, and you're not supporting it. Ultimately, I don't know where I fall on this. I realize that I have no personal stake in this when it comes to representation, because as a womanizing alcoholic, I already feel seen. I do think that there are a lot of interesting ways a woman playing James Bond could take the story. For instance, how would her promiscuous behavior be seen by society as opposed to the male Bonds? And if she's not promiscuous herself, how does she respond to working in an organization where the womanizing male Bond has been the example of a perfect MI6 agent for the last 25 movies. But here's where my hesitancy comes in. If you're going for woke by just having a British Fed be played by a woman while ignoring every other problematic aspect of the Bond character, that would feel kind of shallow. The real-life MI6, like the American intelligence apparatus, has a sketchy at best history with human rights and regime change. The British Empire is, well, an empire. Previous Bond movies have either outright ignored these scandals or whitewashed them, if they're addressed at all. And let's keep in mind that Amazon will be producing any future Bond movies, whether the character is a male or female. And if their idea of a politically correct Bond is just a girl boss starting a coup in the Middle East, I don't want it. To me, Skyfall succeeded because it provided nuance. James Bond in that film was an outdated relic of his time, but we got to see how that affected him and changed him. Yes, at the end of the day, MI6 were still the good guys, but their tactics, particularly those of M, were put under a critical microscope. Ultimately, there are a lot of interesting ways you can take this character forward. Just please don't ruin James Bond. 
Okay, that's our show. I'd like to send a special thank you to Ryan Jackson Healy, Mr. Beat, and you, our viewers. Thanks so much for checking this video out, guys, and I'll see you in the next one.